0: Amen. Well, uh, we are in the book of Deuteronomy, and as we go through the scriptures, uh, the, actually the subject for today's message is on the demonstration of love. As uh, many of us have heard, that love is not displayed merely by words, but uh, it is displayed in action. And so as we think about this, as we think about just this statement that I just made, You know, what good are my words to my loved ones if I only spoke them and not displayed them in action? If, you know, if I was abusive or if I was neglectful to the ones that I love, we know that my words would not truly back up. I mean, my actions would not truly back up the words that I I have spoken. But one thing we know is, according to God's word, it is God's desire that we would display Our love through actions, that they just wouldn't be mere words. And today, the Lord is going to speak to us on how we are to demonstrate our love for Him. And we know that words are cheap, and we know that actions speak louder than words, and that's what He's going to share with us today. And with that, let us begin in verse 1 of chapter 6 in the book of Deuteronomy. It says there, Now this is a commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, as we stop here, you know, as we have read these first three uh, verses here, there's several things that stand out to me, and these are the things that I'm going to speak to you on. The first one is where he says "Or that God has taught you these words. He said that the Lord has commanded to teach you in other words he taught you these words these are his words these words that we're reading now are the words of God the words of life and of truth and as he has been stating here is that these words are words that we should live by these are not words that that uh, that merely come from man but these are words that he expects us to live by and one thing that i want to bring everybody back to is to remind us all that the words that we here today are words of the true and the living God. This is the only God. There are no other gods. Any other gods that have been created are only idols made of stone and of, and of metal and, and, uh, and of clay or whatever they may be made of. But one thing that we know is that these words that we read about today, that we hear today, are words from the true and the living God, the God that holds the treasures of wisdom and understanding. And we know that every word that he speaks they are for our good. They are to teach us, to make us complete and equipped for every good work. The second point that I wanted to make is that he says that the Lord is asking us to or uh, asking the Jews here to observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. The land that he's talking about, of course, is the promised land. As the people are preparing to go into the promised land, what he's trying to, what he's telling them is that I want you to observe these words. You know what? I want you to observe the words when you go into that land. And as I mentioned to you before, what does the word observe mean? You know, when we think about this word, it means to obey. It means to comply with. In other words, the Lord wants us to do as his word says. He's asking the Jews, you know what? I want you to do the words that I have taught you, the words that I have spoken to you. As a reminder to bring us back is that when God spoke to the to the Jews, He spoke through Moses. But we, know, we also know that when God gave the commandments, the law, He spoke directly to the people. And they knew His word. And, and they knew the words from the Lord because not only did they hear them themselves, but they were also communicated by Moses to them. And so what he's saying is, you know what? The words that you have ho- heard, I want you to, to observe them. I want you to do them. I want you to comply with them and, and, and this will be good for you. And we know that this is the same for us as Christians. It's important that we understand that that God is also calling us to do his word. And then the third point that I wanted to mention, and he mentions it there in verse two, it says that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his commandments. You know, one thing that the Lord has called us as a people of God is to have a sense of fear for him. You know, we know one thing that That uh, uh, we see this in the church today, and I've talked about it in the past, is the lack of fear of the Lord. And as we have a lack of fear in the Lord, then it's going to direct us to sin. And one thing that the Lord doesn't want us to do is to sin. You know, He wants us to fear Him, and, and He wants us to have a reverence for Him. This is what the Lord Himself said in Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. This is what the Lord is telling us. He's telling us to walk in a sense of fear. And I know that many times the churches just say, you know what, that we should be a people that just have a reverence and an awe for the Lord. You know what, but they neglect to talk about also having a fear of him. You know what? What can he do to us if we disobey him? We know that, you know what? That he can cast us into hell. We know that we can receive judgment for our sin. And we are not to walk in it. We are to have a fear of the Lord. You know, some people may think, you know what? As a Christian, you know what? We should not have a, a sense of fear or, or, or fear in order to obey the Lord. Well, You know what? Having fear and obedience, they sort of come together. You know, and I want to talk about this. And I want to relate this back to my parents. You know, as growing up, I loved my parents, and I think all of us love our parents, right? But in loving our parents, did we not also have a fear for our parents? See, this is what the Lord is talking about here. You know what? If we feared our parents, what would we get? I think you and I would get a spanking or we would get punishment, right? And so, you know what? This is what happens to us, too. The Lord spanks us in a different way, in ways that we're not, we don't like. But you know what? When we disobey him, this also happens to us. You know what? As my wife sits in the back. You know, I know that I also fear my wife, right? Because I know what's best for me and I know what she'll do to me. I'm kidding. But... I do fear her in a sense where, you know what, I would not want to do anything that would hurt her or that would bring harm to our relationship or to our marriage. You know, I want her to be happy and I want, I want her to know that I respect her wishes and our relationship. The same is with the Lord. The Lord expects us to fear him. The Lord expects us to obey Him. The Lord wants us to have this sense. And when the church loses a sense of fear for the Lord, then they will walk in sin. And we cannot be there. We have to fear the Lord and knowing, you know what, what can happen to us if we do walk away from the Lord. The fourth thing that I want to talk about is also what he says there in verse 3. He talks about being careful to observe because if we observe His words, if we obey His words, it may be well with you and that you may multiply. One thing that we see here is that He promises in verse, actually I missed it, I didn't, talk, I didn't I didn't. mention it, but in verse 2 He talks about all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. You know, there's three things that the Lord talks about here when we talk about obedience. And the first one was the fact that we will have long life. Long life comes with obedience. And long life also lays into what eternal life. And it's important for us to understand that this comes with obedience to the Lord. He also talks about a blessed life. You know what, when we, when we look at what he, what he mentions there, he mentions that, you know what, that it's going to be well with you. You know what, one thing that we know is that things go well with us. We receive the blessings of God when we walk in obedience To his word. And he also says that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. What he talked, what he mentioned to the Jews here is that you know what? That your lives will be fruitful. In other words, your lives will multiply in fruitfulness. You know what? It's awesome to know the amount of fruit that we can bear when we obey the Lord and when we do his will. We know one thing that the Jews were promised the land of Canaan, which today is the land of Israel. And their inheritance was to receive this land that is flowing with milk and honey. You know, to us, we always talk about it. You know what? Why does he mention milk and honey? One thing that we know is that a land flowing with milk and honey is a description of a land that is rich and fruitful. When we talk about milk, milk is an essential, important food, right? We understand that, we know that, you know, for us to have milk, it's, it's important, it's essential. And one thing that we know is, at this time, honey was a luxury. You know what, having honey was a luxury. And so, as we think about this, right, you know what, we have here the expression that the Jews would have all that they needed and could ever want. This is what he talks about, this land flowing with milk and honey, As we get into verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know what? I want to stop here at this verse, because this verse is an important verse for us. But most importantly, it's an important verse for the Jews. I want you to understand that this verse has become the confession of faith for an Orthodox Jew. And this is called actually the Shema, which is a Hebrew word for fear. And this word is so important to the Jews that they recite this verse day and morning. The Orthodox Jew will recite this verse day and evening. I mean, in the morning and in the evening. And it is so important for the Jews that they, want to, that they have their children memorize these words once they can begin to speak, these are the words that they memorize. And the words that they memorize to us, we have it listed as the Lord, o is- I mean, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For the Jews, the way they recite it is, Hear, O Israel, Jehovah our Elohim, Jehovah is one. And so as we think about this to them, this is their confession of faith. This is the way, this is what, how important these words are to them. And they teach their children to repeat these words. And many devout Jews repeat these words every morning and evening. I want to talk about why this is important. See, the nations that were around Israel, they worshipped many gods and goddesses. But with these words, this proclamation, this confession that the Jews made, they were saying that we worship the true and the living God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And what is the meaning of this? When we look at these words, we can see, we can draw what it is exactly that they are saying. They are saying that God is totally unique. I want you to understand that that they are saying that He's unique. He's like no other. They are saying that our God is, uh, that He alone is God, that there is no other God. And it also talks about the oneness of God, bringing the unity when it comes to God. And what I mention here, the unity when it comes to the Godhead, is I am speaking of the Trinity. See, for us as Christians, we know that God exists in three persons, doesn't He? He exists in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we know that for us, when it talks about the oneness, when it talks about the Lord our God, Jehovah our Elohim, it's talking about God in plural, the plural form of God, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Lord is one. Jehovah is one. And it's important when it comes to this doctrine of the Trinity because we know that there are three persons that exist in one when it comes to the Godhead. Isn't this what... Well, you know what? Let's turn to 1 John so you can hear it for yourselves. See, because many people will deny Many people will deny the existence of the Godhead. You know what? It's funny that I received a call just about three, about a month ago. And I had received a call at, the ch- at our church phone number. And the individual that was on the other line, he called to debate on this very doctrine. He talked about, you know what? I know that you guys at Calvary believe in the Trinity. And he began to challenge me as far as the Trinity is concerned. And he began to say that there is no such doctrine as the Trinity. And I, gave, I, I brought him to this very verse. In 1 John chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 7 and 8, it says there, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. How much more clear can we get when it talks to the Trinity here? We also know that in Matthew, we also know that Jesus also stated that we are to baptize, that we are to go out and to baptize men, women, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are to make disciples of them, teaching them doctrine. And as we realize that Jesus himself said to go out and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you want to have other scriptures to read by, it's in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, where he talks also about the Trinity. He mentions the three, the Godhead that exists in one. And also in Matthew 3, verses 16 through 17, we see it for ourselves in the baptism of Jesus Christ. How God the Father spoke in that this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then John saw the dove, the whole, I mean the Holy Spirit, like a dove coming upon Jesus. And Jesus himself was the one that was being baptized. As we see the God hit there. The three that are in one. As we keep reading. As we go back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 6. In verse 5. It says. You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. And with all your strength. In this verse. We have the first. And the greatest commandment. We have here the commandment to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, or with all of your heart, soul, and strength. We know that mind was added also as Jesus spoke in the New Testament. But see, the Jews were instructed to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, and strength. In other words, they were to love the Lord with everything they got. Everything that encompasses a man, we are to love the Lord with. You know what? This commandment, as we know, it was given to the Jews here. But we also know that it was given to us as Christians, to the New Testament church. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus says himself, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he goes on to say that this is the first and the greatest commandment. As you can see, us as Christians, we are instructed to love Him also with everything that we got. But one thing that I want to bring to light here, as this is the message, this is what God has for us today, how is love demonstrated? It's so important for us to know that love is demonstrated in action. See, you cannot say you love him and do the opposite of what the Lord says. It's a contradictory. They don't go together. It's not like peanut butter and jelly. These things don't mix. They don't come together. Even the Lord himself said in Matthew 7, 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he says, those that will enter the kingdom of heaven are those that do the will of my father in heaven. See, it is important for us to understand that our love is displayed through action. And how I will show you this through the scriptures is through this one verse. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, love is displayed through the action of obedience. This is how love is displayed. This is how love is demonstrated. By this very statement, love leads to action. See, he says, Love me, so obey me. And you may be thinking to yourself, Well, this is what the Lord shows us, right? I mean, this is what the Lord tells us. But how is it that God asks us to do something? And does He also do it also? I think so. And I'm going to give you scriptures to prove this. How God's love is demonstrated through action. The first one is from John 3.16. And we all know this verse very well, don't we? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see how love is demonstrated in there? He says, for God so loved the world that He gave. Okay? Okay? The love is demonstrated by His action in giving His Son to us. The second verse that I want to display this is, is from John 15, 13. And it says there in John 15, 13, that no greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He was talking about Jesus Himself here, what He would do for us. See, laying down His life was a demonstration Of the love of God. Do you see how love is demonstrated by action? And I'm going to finish with this last scripture. And it's from Romans 5.8. And it is so obvious in this scripture. In Romans 5.8, it says there, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ's death was a demonstration of God's love. Do you see how action is demonstrated in love? If there is no action in love, then there is no love. See, words are cheap as I started, as we began. See, it's important that we have to back up our words with our actions. And I think we get this point. And this is why Jesus was saying, as he said, that if you love me, you will do as I say, doing his commandments, doing his word. Keeping them is what he's asking of us. And this demonstrates our love for him. As we keep moving on in verse six, it says, And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You know what? The Lord wants his words to be in our hearts. See, the Lord knows how important heart is in whatever we do. See, if you want to break the strength of a man, then you break his heart. See, it's important that we understand heart will drive people to do incredible things. One thing that we know is that if if your heart isn't in things, things are done in vain, aren't they? If your heart isn't in things, they're a waste of time. You don't give it much attention. And we know that things are short-lived. But when our hearts are in things, you know what? It's amazing. And God is saying, you know what? I want my word to take deep root in your heart. If we love the Lord, He is saying, you know what? Allow my word to take deep root within you. See, how many of us, as I give you this example, how many of us hold the words of our loved ones with great, with, with, with great, uh, how could I say, with great meaning? You know what, when people tell us certain things, our loved ones especially, when they speak to us in a mean way or in a bad way, I mean, I think we can easily get discouraged. Or when they speak to us in an encouraging, in a loving manner, in an edifying manner to build us up, to love us, to to reveal to us certain things, you know what, then we take it to heart and we move with, with words of encouragement and we stop with words of discouragement. And God knows what His Word can do with us, in and through us. He knows how important the Word of God is for us. As I prayed earlier, He talked to us about us not living by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of His mouth. And this is why He's saying, you know what? I want these words to be in your heart. I want them to take deep root in your heart. You know what? If they take deep root in our hearts, and guess what the Word of God is going to do? It's going to bear fruit within our lives. You know what, we know when trees begin to take deep root within the ground, they begin to sprout, and they begin to give beautiful leaves and flowers and fruit. And that is the same way with the Word of God. There is a transformation that goes on within our lives if the Word of God takes root within our hearts. And this is what God is asking of us, of a believer. Not only a believer, but He's also commanding the Jews. He's telling them, you know what, I want my words to take deep root within you. One thing about the Word of God, the Word of God is truth. And we know about truth is that it sets us free, doesn't it? We know that we lived in lies before, right? We know that we lived in fables and old wives' tales and and mother's tradition and father's and parents and all of that. And we figured out that they were lies and they led us nowhere. But we know when it came to the Word of God, the Word of God began to share truth to us, it began to set us free as we began to listen to it, as we began to obey it. How many of us were set free from the bondage of lies and sin when we began to read the word of truth? I know I was. I know when I began to hear the word of God, it was so different and it began to set me free. And as the Spirit of God began to reveal this truth to me, as I heard it and I allowed it to take root within my heart, that the Spirit of God was working, was giving me the power and revealing its truth, to follow it. One thing that we know through the Word, and it's through 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that the Word of God is truth, it's doctrine, right? To teach us the truth. We know that it reproves us, it corrects us, and it instructs us. This is the Word of God that wants to take deep root within our hearts. And we know that it will make us complete and equipped for every good work. I do want to share this with you. New and immature believers. One thing that happens with a new or immature believer is that the words of God are only up here and they don't fall here. And it's important that we realize that the words have to come from here into here. And what I mean by this is that, see, if we begin to trust and believe as we hear the words of God, It is displayed that it is true in our actions. And what I mean by this is that, see, when we hear the word of God, sometimes we may not trust it, and we don't believe it. Or we think, well, how can I do that? I can't do it. But see, when we take a step of faith in obeying the word of God, it's an amazing thing how things begin to change around us right how how you know what as we oh as we take these uh these steps of faith that doors are open and our life begins to change as we just trust in it and do it see this is what God wants us to be he wants us to take the words that he gives us like children how many times do I tell my my kids to do certain things when they were young like Selah right now she doesn't understand things and many of you have seen her when I tell her not to do things she does them anyways But we know one thing is that she will begin to realize that as she does what I tell her to do, it is going to be good for her. It is going to be well for her. It is going to bear great and good fruit. Do you know what the sign of maturity is? As I was talking about a new and immature Christian, do you know what the sign of maturity is when it comes to a believer? I want you to know this. See, if you want to know whether you're maturing the Lord or not, is when you begin to do His Word. That's the sign of maturity, is doing His Word. That's how we know that we're maturing the Lord. See, because we're no longer doing what we want to do, selfish kids, you know, selfish little children that want our way. But now we begin to do as the Lord says. And your maturity, it doesn't, it's not a matter of time in the Lord. It's really a matter of obedience, of whether you're doing the word of God or not. If we have the word of God just in our minds, you know what it also tends to do to people? It tends to puff them up. See, the word of God tells us this, right? It tells us that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. See, it's important for us to understand one thing about the word of God. It has to transfer from here to here, because if you just have knowledge, then you're just spewing out Christianese, you're not walking in it. You're not doing what the Word of God says. It's important that it transfers from here into our hearts. And this is what the Lord is trying to tell us. He's reminding us today how important it is for us to allow the Word of God to take deep root within our hearts. As we keep reading in verse 7, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. One thing that the Lord knows is how important His word is for us. You know what what God is telling us here, what He told the Jews, and it applies to us too. That's why some of these things, I'm, I'm using it as Jews and us, because all of these things are applying to us. One thing that God wants us to do is, when it comes to your homes, He wants His Word to be in your homes. Understand that. You know what, He wants us to have scriptures in our home. Why is that so important? Because, see, it is a word of truth, right? Right? And one thing we know about the word of truth is that if we keep seeing it and reading it, we are reminded of the truth of God. It begins to lay deep within our hearts. You know, the Jews had his words. And this is what the Lord told them. He says, I want you to teach it to your kids and to your grandkids. And this is one thing that he wants us to do. is He wants us to teach our children and our grandkids about the truth of God. See, one thing about the Lord is He wants us passionate about His Word. He wants the Word to be the center of our life. Understand that God wants His Word to be the center of your life. He wants your life to revolve around His Word. He says, put it on your hands, put it on your foreheads. It was just a sign for for the Jews to, to make sure that they had the Word of God in their hearts. But you know, one thing that we know is that the Word of God has a way of transforming us. See, it's just not supposed to be written on the outside, but it's supposed to be written in our hearts. And we know one thing about the Word of God, it transforms us. Turn, to, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians verse chapter 2, verse 13, It says this, it says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, everything we've been saying, which also effectively works in you who believe. In other words, what he's trying to say is that you didn't receive it from man. Like what I talked about earlier, these words that I'm sharing with you are not the words of men. These are the words of the true and the living God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us that you receive this truth which effectively works in you who believe. In other words, it transforms you. There's an effectiveness that it does in your walk, in your life. And only the word of God could do this. And one thing about the word, one thing about the word that God wants us to do with it. What I love about this, is just reminds me and brings me back to a place of, of, you know what, of understanding where we are to be. You know, God wants you talking about His word with your kids. He shared this, right? He says, I want the Jews to talk, to teach it to your children and to your grandchildren. In other words, you know what? I want you teaching it to your kids. I want you to talk about my word when you're sitting down. I want you to talk about my word when you're walking, when you're lying down, and when you're rising up. Think about that. God is saying, you know what? I want the word to consume you. I want you to be talking about it always. You know what? At home, how many times do we talk about the word of God? Do you talk about it with your family when you're sitting down? Do you talk about it with friends when you're walking with them? You talk about it with people when you're talking with them or, or with others. You know, one thing about, about, uh, about my walk is, you know what? I could go on and on talking about the Lord. You know what? Whatever, whatever comes to mind, I can relate it to the Lord because I want to have the Lord on the forefront of my mind, of my heart. You know what? When we went to Mexico, I remember just being around all of those that went to Mexico. Mexico. What was the focus of our conversations? Everything that we talked about over there was what? Was the Lord, right? I mean, we can attest to that. Whoever went here, as we know that when we were there, this is all that was going on. I love to talk about the Lord. I just love to to to, to just grow in His Word and to analyze His Word and to you know what to allow it to speak to us. You know, one of the um, one of the things that we did on our way back from from Mexico, as we were in the van. I said, you know what, let's talk about a verse. Let's read a verse and let's talk about it. And we were having an awesome time of just sharing. You know, well, what does this verse mean to you? What do these words mean to you? And you know what, and everybody, it was awesome because we were all in unison just talking about the Word of God and we spent how many hours doing that? Crossing what? The border, right? And it was awesome and it was amazing. And this is where God wants us to be. You know, I know sometimes we can't do it at, at our jobs, but you know what? God will always give an open door sometimes, doesn't he? He gives us open doors at our job. And, and you know what? And when he gives you that door, you know what? It's open to talk about it. Not that you're going to force the doors open because you haven't been called to, to preach at, the, at your jobs because you've been called there to work for them. But you know, one thing that we know is that God will open doors. And that when, when he opens the door, that's when he gives you the opportunity to speak and to share. And you know what, and I love this because at my jobs, you know, they know who I am. And and many people will ask me things about the Lord or they'll ask me about the church and it gives me an opportunity just to give glory and praise to the Lord. One thing is, is going back to your homes. You know, I know some people go to the extreme and you know what, and they put all, you know, everything about the Lord and that's good. You don't have to do that. But one thing that God wants you to do is He does want Scripture in your home. He wants people to know that when they walk into your house, that they're walking into the house of what? Of a believer. You know what? It's amazing, right? When people walk into your house and they see these Scriptures and they see you know, things spoken about the Lord, it gives you an opportunity to speak of, on Him. But also it lets people know who you are. We always want people to know who we are and who we belong to. You know, the great commission is to make disciples of all nations, right? Let people know who you belong to. Who are you a disciple of? You're a disciple of God. And God desires that we should do this. As we, as we keep reading on, let's read on in verse 10. It says, so it shall be. When the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hone out of wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I'm going to share something with you When you read this scripture, what does it remind you of? You know what? It reminds you of how fickle we are as people. One thing that we know is that when we are materially blessed, we are prone to forget about the Lord. Understand that. Otherwise, God wouldn't share that with us. He knows our hearts. And have you ever seen somebody that's doing so well that they tend to walk away from the Lord? See, the Lord was telling the Jews here that when you go into the promised land and you receive these large and beautiful cities, which he reminds them, which you didn't build, houses that are full of good things, which you didn't make, he tells them wells you're going to have filled with water and stuff, which you did not dig, vineyards and trees, you know what, having all this fruit, olives, and an abundance of fruit and vegetables, which you didn't plant, food from the land, which you didn't plant, He tells them, don't forget me. See, we as a people are prone to forget about the Lord when things go so well for us. See, when we have trials, it always moves us into drawing closer to the Lord, right? When you and I are faced with trials, aren't we at the Lord's, at at His feet and, and we're there to, you know what, Lord, help me, deliver me, rescue me. You know what, heal me, redeem me. You know, trial, free lives and material blessings sometimes draws further from the Lord. You know, one thing that we know is that God deals with us individually. He blesses some with more and He blesses some with less when it comes to material things. In Christ, we are all blessed, understand that. But when it comes to material blessings I'm talking about, because this is what He's referencing here, He's saying, you know what? You are to be content and you are still to love me. You are not to forget about me. You are to, you know what, whatever it is, you are are to continue to draw near to me and you are to continue to do as I say. You know, one thing we know is that Paul, he told us in Philippians 4, in verse 11, he told us in there, you know what, I've learned to be content when I have and when I have not. You know, one thing we we know about Paul is that no matter what, you know what, he loved the Lord. And he was called to do and to be in God's perfect will. And whether he had a lot or he had less, you know what, he was fine with it. And that's the way we are to be. You know, God mentions oaths here. I I don't want to leave that. He mentions that you shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and you shall take oaths in His name. This meant that when you made promises in the Lord's name, He was supposed to be the center of it and you were to fulfill it. Let's keep reading in verse 14. In verse 14 it says, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all among you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. I'm going to bring us back to how we started. One thing that we know is that if we love the Lord our God, why are we going to go after other gods? Let's think about this, right? Why are we going to go after God, other gods? And these other gods are only idols, made of wood, made of stone, made of clay, whatever it is. You know what? They're not real. And so why would we want to go after these things? And, and we know for us as, as a people in today's society, we can go after these things, right? When it comes to houses, cars, when it comes to material things when it comes to, you know what, worshiping celebrities or idols or TVs or whatever the case may be. You know, we can have other gods in our life when it comes to us, when it comes to our children. We can, we can worship our children, can't we? We can worship ourselves too. And one thing that the Lord says is don't have other gods before me. And He, ta- and he reminds them. He reminds us, you know what? I don't want you to go after the gods of other people's. See, people have a way of influencing us to go after other gods. This is why his word tells us not to be unequally yoked. You know, he tells us this in 2 Corinthians 6.14, right? Do not be un- equally yoked with unbelievers. See, relationships with non believers can be devastating. Understand this. See, people have a way of influ- influencing us. And they are a terrible influence. See, Satan uses non-believers, those that belong to him, right? Because if you don't belong to the Lord, then you belong to him. Satan uses non-believers to pull you away from the Lord. And we know that in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. See, this can happen to us if we are unequally yoked. And one thing that we know As as we talk about, you know what, being unequally yoked, I do want to clarify one point. And this point that I want to clarify is important for us as Christians because something that Christians can do is that they can move to a place of saying, you know what, I don't want to be around anybody. See, one thing that God has called us to do is to separate ourselves but not to isolate ourselves. See, and in isolation, how are you going to reach the lost? See, Abraham was in a land of Canaan, right? He was in this land, in this terrible land. The people of Canaan were horrible. They were sinful. They hated God is what the word of God says. They hated him. And they committed this ruthful, wicked, sinful acts. And yet Abraham was there, right? But Abraham was a light. The same with Isaac and Jacob. The same with Joseph when he was in Egypt, right? They worshiped other gods, but yet he was a light. He was sharing the truth there. Daniel in Babylon and in Persia. And Jesus was sinners, right? The apostles also. See, one thing that we know is that we do not yoke ourselves or unite ourselves with them, but we go to them just to share the gospel. You know what? We've been put in this dark world to bring light into it. You and I are to bring the light of Christ into this dark world. And we know that if we make a choice to unite with Him, it's not going to be good for us. There's going to be lots of heartache. And as the Lord says, know that I am jealous for you. Why is he jealous for you? Because he loves you and he knows what's best for you. And knows that these other idols are only going to destroy you. Let's read in verse 16. It says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Hasa, in, 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 in Mesa. I'm sorry. One thing that we see what happened in, in Mesa was that, was that the people complained when they were thirsty. This was the first time that they complained because they were thirsty, right? And they were brought into this land. You know what? Let's read it because there's, there's, there's something that I want to teach from this. Let's go to Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17... In, verse one. in Exodus 17, verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel also taking your hand, your rod, with which you struck the river in gold. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the Lord, of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Mesa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This was the first time. This was not the time that Moses uh, struck the rock twice. This was the first time that the people complained. That was a second time. That was another event. But this time, the people complained. And we see here that what was in their hearts, is the Lord among us or not? I do believe that we can be like the Jews. And what I talk about is, see, the Jews were placed in a trial. And they tempted or tested the Lord. And how is it that they tested or tempted the Lord? They complained. See, and they didn't trust Him. They were doubting Him. See, the people can, we are all the same. And one thing that happens to us is that when we are in a trial, how many of us come to a place of doubting God's existence, of complaining against the Lord? Did you know that when you begin to do this, that you are tempting the Lord? See, when we, question, when we openly question His ability, when we do not believe in His ability, when we challenge His authority to act, is when we are tempting and testing the Lord. How is it that you and I are to be in a trial then? You know, one thing that we know is, I could tell you right now what not to do, but I also want to tell you what to do. And let's turn to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James here talks about trials. And for us to come into a place of not tempting or testing the Lord, this is what he wants us to do. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And in trials, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and he will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. See, one thing that we know is when we are are in trials, you know what? God wants us to have a God perspective. God wants us to keep our eyes on him. God wants us to be waiting on Him, trusting on Him, keeping our faith in Him. When you begin to complain, when you begin to to doubt, when you begin to to doubt His existence, His ability, then you are testing the Lord, you are tempting the Lord. And the Lord is saying, you know what, don't do this. Don't be like the Jews at Mesa. I want you to be as James is telling you. you You know what, it's hard, I know, to have a smile when you're going through trials but you know what? We should have, you know what? That smile. Knowing that, you know what? God is going to take care of things. No matter what we're going through, God is going to make it happen. Yes, you can come to a point and to say, Lord, I need you. You know what? I believe, but help me with my unbelief. One thing that we know is that God wants us to be true and honest with Him, but we are not to come to a place of complaining as to our situation to be bringing down His name, to be doubting Him and not trusting Him, knowing that God will eventually work out His perfect plan. And this is where patience comes in. This is where our faith begins to grow as we see Him working things out before our very eyes. This is when we become stronger in Him. This is when we become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If we come to a place of counting these things as joy, knowing that God is going to work things out, being an example for others to see, to say, wow, how is it that you can handle this with a smile? And you're going through these problems. You're bringing glory and honor to the Lord. And know that God is working out His perfect plan for you. He knows what's best for you. And know that He's going to carry you through it. Let's finish up back in Deuteronomy chapter 4. I mean, uh, chapter 6. In verse 17, it says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord your God, or which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. This is what we've been talking about. They were to cast out also their enemies. You know, as the Lord commanded them, you know what, wipe out these people, wipe out these nations. They are evil, they are wicked, they are sinful. And you know what, and they will spread and contaminate you if you allow them to stay with you. And let's read in verse 20, it says, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of this testimony? What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments with which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in, to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statues, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day." then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He commanded us. Moses was bringing them at a, to a time in the future, a time when their children would ask the meaning of the commandments of the Lord. And Moses told them, let them know you were slaves and you were delivered by the hand of God. You were delivered by great signs and wonders. And he brought us to this land which he swore to our fathers. And because he did all this, we follow his commands. We do as he says. He is our God and there is no one like him. We are to obey him. We are to love him. We are to demonstrate our love by our obedience to him by doing as his word says. This is what he's commanding us to do. Only he could deliver us and no one else could do that. We were slaves and now we are free. We've been guided, we've been protected, we've been blessed, we've been provided. We, we have fellowship with God, God is in our presence. Why not do as he says? Who else shall we follow? Only he has the words of eternal life. And I do want to close you with one scripture. And it summarizes the things that we've been talking about. Let's turn to 1 Peter. And I promise you we will close with this. 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. It says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And jump with me to Second Peter. I mean, to First Peter chapter two verse nine. Just jump to me to the next chapter. In verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Everything we heard today as he spoke to the Jews, it is for us too. And remember the demonstration of of our love is obedience to the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And with that, we will close. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, Lord Jesus, for just the things that you reveal to us today, Lord. Lord, as we think about the things that you shared with the Jews, Lord, how they are to demonstrate their love for you, Lord. We are to do the same to you, Lord. We are to demonstrate our love by our obedience to you, Lord. Lord, this is what you are calling us to do, Lord. Lord, may we be reminded to have a sense of fear for you too, Lord, as we also read in 1 Peter, Lord, having a fear for you, Lord. Lord, help us to come to a place of of separating ourselves, not isolating ourselves, but separating ourselves from the world, Lord. Lord, you do not want them to take us in a walk of destruction, destroying us, Lord. For you are a jealous God. You love us, Lord. Lord, help us to come to a place of not tempting you, Lord. Lord, of trusting in you, of not testing you, Lord, of not complaining, of doubting your ability, of challenging you to work. Let us not come to a place of doing this, Lord. But let us come to a place of just loving you, Lord. Demonstrating our love as children, Lord, who love their Heavenly Father. By doing as you say, even though sometimes we don't understand, but when we walk in faith, Lord, we know that there are doors of blessings that are open to us. If there are any here that may not have a relationship with the Lord or any here that that may not be doing as the Lord says. As he even says, some that call me Lord and do not do as I say or do not do the will of the Father. We will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are any here that want to commit or recommit their lives to the Lord. There are any here that want to come to a place of repentance, asking Him for forgiveness. I give you this opportunity. The Lord gives you this opportunity to make things right with Him. If this is any of you, I ask that you will raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else that wants to do this? Raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else that wants to do this? Raise your hand. Amen. Lord, you saw these hands that went up, Lord. They're here because they want to make things right with you, Lord. They're seeking your forgiveness, Lord. They're repenting of their sins. They're recommitting their lives to you. And we know that this can only happen, Lord, when they place their faith in you, when they believe in you when they come to a place of confession, Lord, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we know that you will not disappoint them, Lord, with the sincerity of their confession. So, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for the words that you have spoken to us, Lord, the words that you have shared with us, Lord. May we allow them to take deep root within our hearts as we know this, the amazing things that can happen when things fall into our hearts, Lord. Lord, we tell you we love you, and help us not just say it with our words, but with our actions. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.